I'm really glad to be with you today. Hopefully most of you know who I am. Um, I was wondering this week whether I was going to be standing here today. <laughs> um, but uh, God has been gracious and, uh, and the antibiotic, antibiotics have been great. So <laughs> that's been great. Isn't it fantastic to worship God together? Do you feel excited about that? Could you notify your, your faces? That would be good. It is great to be in the house of God today. Um, I'm going to make no apology for being a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, it's taken me some sort of 40 years sometimes just for God to kind of knock on my head and get me to understand who I am in Christ. So it gives me amazing pleasure to kind of go through this subject today. It's a subject really on my heart. Those of you who don't know, I, I work with Arab World Ministries. Uh, I want to encourage you with a couple of things before I get into my sermon, just to sort of let you know some of the things that are going on in the Arab world. Um, I just want to uh, thank God, really, that the, that the church, even though in the Arab Spring and the way it's going, and we're hearing uh, news that the church is growing uh, in, that, in those countries. But one of the things that's really interesting is that m- many of the uh, uh, Arab world are uh, um, under the age of 25, uh, at least over 50% of the population, and many of them are into uh, technology, uh, unlike me, and uh, they, they access our media sites after watching you know, like YouTube clips about uh, some of the issues that face Islam. Last year, 2011, we had 1.1 million hits on our website from out of the uh, Arab countries. Uh, this last year, we had 2.8 million, which is amazing. And we had 30,000 Arab Bibles downloaded. So, you know, things are, things are happening. I just wanted to just sort of say, encourage you. Things are challenging, uh, but, you know, things are going on, and uh, people are coming to faith. Uh, it always amazes me, you know, we think about how uh, we need a, a, an easy life in one sense, don't we? We think, you know, that ease in life is, is about the kind of good life that God gives us. <coughs> and, um, and I'm thinking about that, and you think about the country like Iran, when the uh, Ayatollah took over in 1979, uh, there were 500 believers in that country, and, and now there are a million. You know, so that's that's exciting. It's the fastest growing church in the world. So uh, sometimes we th- we get the wrong idea about persecution. We don't want people to be physically afflicted, do we? But if the church is going to grow in that sort of context, then amen, let it grow, uh, because these guys know who they are, <laughs> which, funnily enough, links in really well with what I'm going to talk about. So. Who are you? Who are you? Uh, in our staff team uh, every day, we break for coffee mid-morning, and uh, there, are, there are biscuits involved in this ritual. Uh, biscuits of different types get put in a tin, uh, which is fine, unless some of those biscuits are ginger biscuits. Then it doesn't matter what type of biscuit you have, they all taste of ginger. <clears throat> now, some of you may really like ginger, I'm not one of those, so that's always a bit of a disappointment when I you know, bite into a chocolate biscuit, which obviously I don't do very often, love, but I bite into a chocolate biscuit and uh, there's a ginger-type sort of taste to it. It's interesting, isn't it, that the strongest smell or flavour has overwhelmed the others. Interesting. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, I am going to jump around the Bible a bit. We'll, we'll mainly sort of uh, lodge in Ephesians 1 when we eventually get there. But just, you know, if you want to just listen, that's fine. Um, uh, please do that. This is in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God, 
who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So the Apostle Paul is talking, he's talking to the church in Corinth and he's saying, you know what? You really need to stink of Jesus. We don't use the word stink in church very often, do we? But we do actually need to really smell of him. In other words, what is going on on the inside of us as Jesus gets hold of us, as we press in and get to know him better, as we understand the way our life is supposed to work out, we are, lit- we are not supposed to be overcome by what's around us. We are supposed to overcome what is around us through Jesus Christ. Yeah? Jesus was never, ever afraid to go in and spend time with sinners. He just wasn't. And the reason for that is because he knew that when he went into those situations, he would be the influencer, not being influenced. You understand? And it was possible for Christ to do that because the Bible says that he could be tempted in every way, but yet he was without sin. So it was possible that Jesus could have been overwhelmed by what he went into. But because of who he was and because of what he understood about his mission, he went where the sin was stinkiest and he overcame that stink with his stink. New theology. In Acts 4 verse 13 we read, Now when they saw the they there speaking is the Sanhedrin, the same court, uh, temple court that convicted Jesus of being Jesus. That's okay, we understand that. Uh, This is the same people who are now got Peter and John who are the disciples of Jesus Christ. They're standing up there. They've healed this guy who was lame from birth and uh, now they're kind of trying to tell them to shut up basically and Peter and John are not playing ball so this is what they said when they saw the boldness of Peter and John in Acts 4.13 and perceived that they were uneducated common men they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus they recognized that they had been with Jesus please tell me the last time that happened to you that people actually said and they looked at you and they recognized that you had been with Jesus how amazing would that be? Uh, there was a guy called Smith Wigglesworth, who was an amazing and awesome guy, who had a kind of slightly different technique about removing demons and um, sickness from your body. He would, you know, he'd sometimes hit you, and the sickness would leave, and you'd be okay. I'm not recommending that as a way of ministry, but he was a guy who smelt of Jesus. And there are several uh, uh, recorded facts of when he got onto trains and buses and things like that that. He'd be sitting there just meditating and reflecting whatever he did and people would just come under conviction of sin all around him. <laughs> they would ask him how they could be saved. Now I am looking forward to that. Yes please Jesus. Here we see a description of our purpose as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus Christ, wherever we are and in whatever we are doing, we are meant to reveal God to the world. Literally to smell of him. Not to be overcome by the circumstances that we face, but to overcome the circumstances that we face through Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was sitting over there uh, in the the church and just had a picture come to my mind. And I I thought, I don't know how this picture fits in with what we're talking about right now, and I realise it didn't. (laughs) So, But it does fit into this talk. 
And it was, if you can imagine one of those kind of big sort of pots um, that you keep water in, uh, that, that you kind of imagine they might have used in, in Israel in those days. And inside that, if you can imagine, in, immersed in the water are flowers. I couldn't identify the flowers. Identifying flowers is not one of my strong points. But the flowers in, were, were submerged in this water. And the water was constantly being poured out of this. So it's actually lying on its side, if you can imagine. And water is pouring out of this pot. But in, inside the water are flowers. And that water is flowing into other pots, if you can imagine. And what, I thought, what is that about? Well, to me, it actually feels like the flowers, if you, know, if you can imagine, are the, are the aroma of Christ. The kind of smell of Jesus. And, and the water is the Holy Spirit. And, and what is happening is that as we take on, you know, as we die to ourselves, as it were, we start to release the aroma of Christ. And it's a stream of living water. And we need to understand that our identity is all needs to be tied up. You can move on now, Chris. Our identity helps us to understand who we are. Our identity is actually tied up in Jesus Christ. The problem that we have is that the tragedy that we have is that so many people do not notice who we are. They don't notice that, that actually we have got something to do with Jesus. In Matthew 28, verse 19, it's, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says to them, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Jesus commands his disciples to do what? To go and make believers? No, but actually we could be forgiven for thinking that because there's so much emphasis on coming to Christ and that's really good because we need to come to Christ, don't we? I hope all of us here have come to Christ and laid down our, our identity and taken up his identity. But that is not the end of the story. Those that have had their life uh, changed by Jesus Christ, if you can imagine the system that the disciples were emerged in, they were in a system where they would have followed somebody. The rabbi, when he says to a student, um, look, you know, I want you to come with me and I want to invest my life in you, he would say, come follow me. And that's exactly what Jesus has done to us and he did to his disciples. The amazing thing is from the Sanhedrin's point of view is that these disciples were uneducated fishermen. In other words, they were not serving God in the temple. They were not the best of the best in that situation. They were kind of like the ones that had been said, you know, it's really nice that you came to the temple for so long. If you'd just like to go and take up your family trade, we'd be very grateful because we don't really want you here. Jesus took what the world rejected and turned them into world changers. And that's what it is when we actually encounter God. And I am, what's the word, exercised is the right word, by the fact that we do not have so many people who meet Christ and then carry on with him. And we need to carry on. And I really think it's down to the very fact that we don't have an encounter with God that completely changes our life. We don't have that encounter that Moses had that, that Leon so eloquently put to us. Seeing a bush that was not consumed by fire, Moses went. I, I would like to suggest to you that the fire went from that bush into Moses. It consumed Moses to the extent that his entire life and entire existence was about putting God at the center of his life. 
He literally ran up the Mount of Sinai to spend 40 days and nights with him. It's got to be our passion. Amen? Good. We'll get there. (laughs) He's got to be our passion, hasn't he? When people look at us, they need to see Jesus. They need to understand why is it so important that we reveal God to the world? Because God is the best hope for mankind. He knows why we were made. He knows what we are. He understands how we, how we work. Why would we not want to bring that message to the world? Many of us came to Christ in different ways. Mainly, I would suggest, most of us came through a friend. A friend may have introduced us or we may have grown up in church. But being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about identifying with him and choosing to live our lives under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It's a choice. We talked about that over these last few weeks. It's a choice to be bigger, isn't it? It's a choice to, to believe that you can, you can move through this life with all of its challenges and still trust in Jesus Christ. Now, when we're asked a question, who are you? And we are often asked that question uh, uh, many times. There are several ways in which we can answer that question, isn't it? Depending on the kind of situation that we are in. Uh, this, this, uh, this Friday, I was running through uh, Birmingham Airport, and they, they like to see your passport. Um, I was amazed at the fact that I was just going to Belfast, and they wanted to sort of strip search me and, and, and undo all my luggage and all this kind of stuff. I said, I'm just going to another part of the UK, actually. So this was amazing to me. But yeah, they want to see who you are. They want to see whether you're a British citizen. Um, and it was a, a, you know, it's a surprise, just in case you wondered where Leon was. He was on that aircraft. So <laughs> funny where you meet people. But what, I what we say there, when we understand, when we come through customs in this country... It's a relief to go through the UK and EU citizens' queue. You know, when you go to India and places like that, you're treated totally differently. They want to ask questions about why, do you want to, why are you here? What do you want to do? Why are you coming to my country? But if you hold a British passport in the UK, you can say, I am a British citizen. That's who I am. There are other ways I could talk about my identity. I could say I'm a husband to Shirley, or I could say I'm father to Jessica, Andrew, or Anna. Or I might say that uh, I'm a friend of such and such. I noticed that you're doing surfing uh, on the next uh, clips. I wondered if you were going to put Matt Gregory and Tim Jones up there, apparently doing that this week. We might be identified with people that we know. Or I might say that I'm a manager in Arab World Ministries. But all of these faces of my identity must come out of the one identity that I have. The one that matters most is the identity that I have in Jesus Christ. Amen? First and foremost, I am a child of the King. I walk through this life and I dare to believe that I can make a difference in this world. I dare to believe that I'm not just simple Mark Village, but I am a mighty warrior before the, before the Lord who, despite his stature, can achieve great things for God. Thank you. I need to take that encouragement. We have to believe bigger. Our God is so small in our lives that we don't understand what we could achieve. How many of you have heard of a lady called Jackie Pullinger? You know, she's been in Hong Kong for, what, 30-odd years now. She went out there on her own. She's had tremendous impact. One girl thought that she could make a difference, and she has. <coughs> hundreds and hundreds of heroin addicts have come to Christ. Hundreds of gangs have been broken up because of what she's done. Not because of power, but except the power of the Holy Spirit, but the love of God has overwhelmed them. That's amazing. It's what we can do as well. 
So we are exchanging our identity for his because it's only through his identity that we can gain access to our Father. Ephesians 5.8 says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know, one thing I've noticed is that, and I don't know whether you've noticed it as well, but it's quite dark in our nation right now, isn't it? I don't mean that the lights are off, but I mean in terms of, you know, spiritually. You know, we've seen some legislation going through, but I'm, you know, it doesn't bother me that that legislation has gone through. It's a kind of product of where we are as a country. What is more important is what are we doing as the followers of Jesus Christ? Because the thing that is really obvious to me is that when it's so dark, it's really easy to see the light. It should be obvious that we can see the light. And Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, we move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Is that something we can get happy about? (laughs) Shall I try that again? Is that something that we can get happy about? Amen. Good. So so British this morning. That's not the end of the story, is it? Jesus puts us in right standing with God. So many people say to me, you know, look look at their life, Mark. They're, They're good people. They're good people. They do good things and they do good works. And surely they deserve to go to heaven. And you know what? I'd really like to, I'd like to be able to say yes. But that's not what it's about. It's not about goodness. It's about righteousness. And when we, in, when we uh, substitute goodness instead of righteousness, we, we misunderstand God. The only way we can stand in front of God is because we are in right standing with him. And the only way we become right standing with him is to take on the blood of Jesus. When we understand that Jesus has stepped in and substituted his life for ours, then we can stand in front of the throne of heaven. Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. Hallelujah. We need that kind of fire protection, believe me. We can only come to him through Jesus. That is the difference we have as followers and as understanding in terms of Christianity. The life we have, though, is in the power of the resurrection. We've been called from death to life. And whilst we come to God through the cross, we cannot remain there. We cannot remain there. If we are to become all that we can be in order to demonstrate the kingdom of God to the rest of the world, we have to understand that we live in the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's just turn to Ephesians 1.15. That was a good introduction. Good. Ephesians 1.15. I'll read it off here because I've got a slightly different version here. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints." And is incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him 
at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Don't you wish you could pray like that? <laughs> awesome. There's so much in there, isn't there? I'm going to attempt to unpick some of it. So Paul is praying something very amazing. And what he's saying is, guys, I know where you are right now. But do you understand how far there is to go? Do you understand that you can, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you can kind of, you know, when you get to the, to the English Ocean, you can either put your toes in because it's absolutely freezing, or you can just go for it and run straight in. And, uh, and I'm assured that you won't get hypothermia. But you need to understand that you can swim in all that Jesus Christ has for you. Or you can just dip your toe in. But that will be the level of your revelation. And I'm going to press in, if you don't mind, and I'm going to find out how deep this water is. That would be good, wouldn't it? So I'm really looking at this prayer and thinking, where does it all begin? It all begins with God, doesn't it? It all begins with, in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This week in my readings, I was reading about Solomon's temple, the building. And uh, I was reading it and there was this place where they come in and they dedicate the house to God. And there's a point where God turns up and everybody else has to stop. <laughs> the glory of God was so strong and, and the Bible talks about glory being like a weight that they could not do anything. They couldn't function. You see, these bodies that we have right now, are not, they're not designed to fully appreciate or fully take on God's glory. They, they tend to get a bit crispy around the edges when we, when we come too close to God. But we will get new bodies. And there's, a, there's an end, a kind of thinking about when, how much do we get now and how much do we get then. It's heaven now and not yet, isn't it? There's that tension in our lives. And I want to put forward today, and I really believe this, that we've been focused so much on the not yet that we haven't got hold of what we do now. What we do now. I'm really hoping that by the time you leave this place, you understand you could actually change the world. Yeah? Why are we here otherwise? Otherwise, when we come to faith, as I keep saying, then we should go to heaven straight away. Otherwise, why be here? Because this is a church that believes in world changing. Amen. Thank you. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is God's purpose for us. That the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. He wants worshippers wherever and whenever. Generationally, physically, locationally, there's 6.5 billion people who he is desiring to know personally. He sent his own son. The story since uh, the Garden of Eden is one of, uh, of God who has lifted up his skirts, as it were, and has chased after a, a relationship with his children ever since. So much does he want that, revel that uh, relationship that he's given it all so that he could do, do it. So God is the giver of glory, and we are his glory carriers. Hallelujah. So when you bounce out of bed tomorrow morning, you can say, God, I am a glory carrier. <laughs> Keep saying it. It will get to you eventually. We need to recognize the Father of glory, and we only recognize the Father of glory through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that within us, who is Christ in us. 
who understands who God is, understands who Jesus is, and allows us to become transformed from one glory to another. We're supposed to become full up with Jesus Christ. Do you know what we're like? You know, for those of you who watch Doctor Who, and for those of you who don't, I apologize. But we're like the TARDIS. We're bigger on the inside than we are on the outside, you know? We can be full up with the Holy Spirit. There's no kind of, uh, I don't understand much about maths, but uh, the Holy Spirit is not like a pie that you divide up between uh, six billion people and we get one six billionth each. No, it's, the Holy Spirit is infinite. You divide up infinity, you still get infinity. Don't even ask me how that happens, but it's true. We all get the full measure of the Holy Spirit. I think that's brilliant. Exodus 33, Moses, we spoke about him already. This is what he said. Because God gave him the opportunity to go up from where he was. He was kind of in a place where he could have said, okay, look, everything's good. You can go up from here. You can enter into the promised land. And he said to him, this is Moses saying to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. You know, the same thing is still going on. Israel's purpose was to reveal God to the rest of the world. No change. We are still doing the same thing, to reveal God to the whole of the world. And when we attempt to go on without him, what is the point? What is the point? If you haven't heard anything from God, then keep doing what he told you to do before. Follow last orders. But keep doing it. Do it with all your strength and with all of his. Moses understood that their identity in God was everything. It was what made them distinct from every other people on the earth. And their purpose was to demonstrate the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, from this come, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. <coughs> are you the same now as when you came to Christ? It's not a rhetorical question. Yes, no, anybody feel the same way? No, we've changed. We've changed. We're changing from one degree of glory to another. And how many degrees of glory are there? No idea. I haven't got there yet. But we need to keep pushing in and pushing in and pushing in. Because my whole life is his life. My whole life is his life. You get to carry out your life in various different places. But one thing should be clear. You've been put there for a reason. And you've been put there to bring the kingdom of God into that place. That is an amazing assignment. And we should always value where God has put us. We're involved in a continual transformation. <laughs> I want you to just look at your neighbor and say, you are being transformed from one glory to another. <laughs> Some of us need more glory than others, eh? <laughs> you know, if we're to know God as Father... Intimately, we must understand that we are sons and daughters. We must understand that we are sons and daughters. In Romans 8, he says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Hallelujah. You see, here and in Ephesians 1, we understand that Paul is being very, very specific. He's speaking into a Roman culture and they understood adoption. They understood that that it was traditional in those days for... uh, the senior servant's son in a Roman household to be raised up to a point where they would be adopted by the the Roman uh, family themselves. And they did this for two reasons. It was a deliberate act, first of all. You need to understand. They would go to the marketplace and three times they would enter into what was an agreement. And, and, And over those three times, the son would move from this family into the family of the Roman family. citizen and it was and the son would take on the name of the family in other words the son was adopted so that they could take on the name to perpetuate the name to keep the name going that was the whole point and the son was no way inferior to any of the natural children born in that family in fact they had inheritance rights the same as a natural born uh, son that's the picture that Paul is using We have been adopted into the family of God with inheritance rights, heirs and co-heirs with Christ. That is amazing, isn't it? And we carry his name. We lose our identity, but we take on his identity. Now let me ask you, whose identity do you want? Mine or do you want Jesus? It's got to be Jesus, hasn't it? It's got to be Jesus. The knowledge that we are sons and daughters comes through the Spirit into our hearts. Uh, In verse 18 uh, of Ephesians 1 there, it talks about having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The eyes of your hearts. You know, the language in the New Testament or in your Bible sometimes is just crazy language. But when you look at it, you understand that what he's talking about is in here. Cardia. It's the the thing in your gut So it's not going to happen up here. There's plenty of knowledge that comes that way. But the knowledge that you are a child of God is going to come through your heart. And if it hasn't come to you yet, then you need to ask the Holy Spirit to invade your heart. You need to, because the Holy Spirit bears witness inside of you to the fact that God is your father. And he is an extravagant father. He's an extravagant father. When you have in mind that story that Jesus told about the prodigal son, you need to understand that no self-respecting Jewish father would run anywhere. But God was, you know, the father represents God in that story and he's looking at the horizon saying, where is my son? And as soon as he sees him, he picks up his skirts and he runs and he runs and he runs. And he says, you are no slave. You are my son. Get the best robe. Get the fatted calf. Put a ring on his finger. Isn't it brilliant that he doesn't give us what we deserve because he gave Jesus what he didn't deserve? So we need to have a light put on in our hearts so that when our hearts are enlightened, we know that we have the same inheritance as Jesus Christ. You know what? The saying is true. You become like the company you keep. I started off with ginger biscuits just because it's a powerful 
illustration in a way. But it is just an illustration. But the truth is this. You need to spend time with Jesus if you want to start smelling of him. You need to spend time with him. You need to understand what is going on. We need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus understood this. When he got baptized in the Jordan, what happened? The Spirit came down on him like a dove. You know, if Jesus had done everything that he had done in his life as God, then we could rightly say, there's no way that I could do that. Yet the truth is that Jesus says, you will do all that I have done and more. And how did he do it? He did it as a man appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He raised people from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He healed people by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of these things were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he was telling us and showing us that that is the reality of a life following Jesus Christ. That's exactly how we are supposed to be in the world. And the power that Jesus, the power that would raise Jesus from, from death to life is the same power that is available to us. Dunamis, dynamite. It's where we get that word from. And, you know, sometimes we need a stick of dynamite underneath us to get us going. But we have to understand that at Pentecost, what happened was that the dunamis came on those disciples exactly the same way as Jesus. But Jesus had to go back to heaven for it to happen. He hasn't left us alone. The same power is at work in us. And that is amazing. God is working in our lives. The energy he's putting into us to produce another son, another daughter in his name, in his likeness, in identity all the same, is is that energy that he's putting in that raised Jesus from death to life. Hallelujah. Bill Johnson put it this way, we as sons and daughters of God are destined to reveal our father to the world by bearing his likeness. We do this as Christ did by communing with the Father, walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth through demonstrations of power and authority, all in the context of sharing the love of God. You know, it's interesting to me that whenever we see a list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, it's immediately followed or preceded by a talk about the love of God. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for us. Not for our own enjoyment. We do get enjoyment and we are blessed by using them. But they're there to bless the world. We ask for more of God so that more of God goes through us, through to the world. 1 John 4 verse 17 says this. Perhaps the band could come back up, please. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. As he is, so also are we in the world. When Paul set out from Jerusalem to Damascus, he went out with murderous thoughts in his heart about murdering the followers of Jesus Christ who dared to know God intimately and in a different way than he did. And when God met him on the road to Damascus, it says that he was brighter than the noonday sun. Now, I've been to Israel. It's really bright, the noonday sun there. And if he was brighter than the noonday sun, do you understand? John, when he saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw him change, didn't he? 
He saw him change and be transfigured. If something like a curtain was pulled back to see who Jesus really was. John met Jesus again in uh, Paphos, isn't it? Patmos. And he had a vision of Jesus. And it was not the vision he had when he was living, you know, walking with him for those three years before Jesus went to the cross. He says his eyes were like fire. His hair was like wool. There was just such power and authority emanating from Jesus when John saw him again that Jesus had to tell him who he was. We recognize Jesus by the Holy Spirit in us and we can be transformed to be like him because as he is, not as he was, but as he is, so are we in the world. Don't belittle what Jesus can do in your life. He will give you. I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to be used wherever we are. I really believe that. You will have words for your colleagues. You will, you will sense what's going on in their lives because the Holy Spirit cares for them. And we will be those agents for change. I just want to speak to you. Uh, perhaps you can just play something in the background. That would be great. Um, in Isaiah 43, which really kind of finishes off what I want to say about identity. Some of us are facing situations and challenges in our lives and we just don't know where to turn. But I want to say to you that God is faithful. He knows who you are. He's not forgotten you. He knows your name. So I just want to read these first few verses of Isaiah 43 just as an encouragement to you to understand how he feels about you. You see, we forget that God is good and we forget that he's in a good mood. He's actually for us, not against us, because of all that we have done in believing his son. Isaiah 43, Now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour, and I give Egypt as your ransom. In fact, he gave Jesus. So much more he gave to us. And I don't know about you, but we're coming into a time in church life, I believe, where God is raising up an army of people. In Ezekiel 37, we see an army of people raised up, standing, as it were, hundreds and thousands of people without any name whatsoever. They have the breath of the Holy Spirit in them. And one commander, I believe, Jesus Christ. Our only identity that matters is, are you going to be Jesus in the world? And as we sing now, I just want us to, I just want us to respond. If you, if you know that God has called you to something bigger than you are right now, if you just want power for every single day, if you want power to be Jesus where you are, then I just want you to stand as we're singing. And, and I'm going to pray for you because I really believe that God has got something more than we have got so far. Yes, we come to him and we believe him and we understand who he is and we ask him to take our place. But there's more, so much more than that because God, through each of you, through each of you, wants to reveal himself to the world and that is amazing 
But if you need, know that you need power, you need to be anointed. Like the Holy Spirit, you know, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, the high priest was anointed with oil. And it wasn't just a kind of little bit, you know. It was poured over him and it was rubbed into his skin. And you know, the funny thing is, the high priest stunk of the oil that had just been rubbed into him. We need to stink of Jesus. And to stink of Jesus, we need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. So if that's what you want, just as we're singing, and just respond by standing to do that. That would be great. Just put your, your hand on your heart. And if that's you that just wants that touch of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to pray for you now. Jesus, be the reason that we live, I pray. Be the reason that we hope. Be the reason that we have faith. Be the reason that we love, I pray. And Holy Spirit, I just want to pray for each person here right now who needs a touch, who needs to be anointed, Lord, who needs to do namis in their life right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come, I pray. Fall on us like a fire. Consume those things in us which fear, fear the future or fear circumstances or fear other people. Burn those things up in us, Lord, that cause us to be less than bold. And I pray right now that you'll set us apart, Lord, as an army of people who are identified by your name, Lord Jesus. We don't want any other name, only your name, Jesus. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And you are taking us into the world to reveal your Father to the world because you've sent your Son. And we are sons and daughters this morning. Don't let any lie tell you otherwise. Your breakthrough is coming. The words spoken over your life are true because they came from God. If you doubt them this morning, then just re-establish that you will choose to believe them. Holy Spirit, come. As we sing this again, why don't you sing from your heart? It's such an honour to know God. Such a privilege to be a son or a daughter of the living God. We love you, Lord Jesus. Lead us on, I pray, in the name of Jesus and by your power. Amen.